Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm catching up again with Nick Hand, our commercially savvy finance guru here at Trinity P3. Nick's a CPA with more than two decades of experience managing the finances of media, creative and PR agencies and more. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you, Darren. Good to see you again. Yeah, thank you. Um, Look, the reason I want to catch up again is I've been thinking about how so much of the work we do with Trinity P3 has a financial focus. And I was reflecting also on the fact that when you talk to agencies, finance is not top of mind. And yet you've spent two decades working in agencies where, as a finance director, where finance is every day. Where's this juxtaposition or this, you know, uh, this disconnection happening? Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from the creative industries are looked at as being something uh, fun, perhaps a little bit frivolous. Uh, The best practitioners, though, know, regardless of what their background is, some are account guys, some are strategy guys, some are creative guys, they know that they're in business to make money. And so um, the agencies that I've worked in over the years, the very best run ones, uh, the principals have money as their core focus. They're in business to make money. Uh, yeah. That's the only reason that you are in business is to make money. Mm-hmm. There might be some some altruistic uh, side effects, but ultimately these people have mortgages and families to feed. They're in business to make money. Well, ultimately, if you're not making money, you're not in business exactly. for very long. So, yeah. I mean, you have to make profit to stay in business. Yeah. And so your first point, it just staggers me sometimes the lack of uh, focus outside perhaps one or two of the more senior people in the business um, about the money side of things. I would go into agencies and your senior account leads uh, would have no idea about uh, not only how the agency makes money, about how their client pays them, yeah. which is just insane. Um, I think over time that has changed and certainly the agencies I've worked in, that's often my first job is to, is to make sure that... Uh, uh, all the staff within the agency are up to speed on how we make money and how our clients pay us and their role and all that. But it's uh, just staggering the, 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 the lack of commercial and financial acumen at, at some of these businesses. And I, I, I'm not quite sure why. I think it's perhaps my first comment that they look at this business as, as fun and frivolous. In actual fact, it's, it's, it's a hardcore business designed to make money. Well, I, you know, I've always felt that while we call it a creative business, there's more focus on the creative. And that's not just creative agencies, all agencies. There's, it's all about strategy, creative, strategy, creative, and then people. But less focus on business. Yeah, And one of the things that really annoys me is that the amount of focus on revenue or income compared to profitability. Because, yeah, I remember talking to, you know, account leads and their only KPI was how much money they got out of the client, not how much profit that that actually turned into. So they were purely chasing revenue at any cost. 
but not actually profit. There was no responsibility for being profitable. And I think that's a lack of understanding at the senior leadership level about what the important drivers um, of the business need to be. Um, as you say, it's not just revenue. Um, yes, we want to maximise the revenue that's coming in, but we need to make sure that we're doing that profitably uh, because, as you said, businesses that uh, continue to lose money ultimately are no longer in business. Um, and you know, agency principals, I think, many of them uh, don't necessarily fully uh, invest in making sure that they understand and have the resources in place to, to, to manage that part of the agency. Nick, do you think some of it's a cultural throwback to the old media commission? Because in a way, the more money that your client spent with you, the more money you made. You know, profit almost looked after itself. Yeah, I, I think it possibly does, particularly when you've got um, strategy or creative guys that's starting the business that uh, often they kept at arm's length from, uh, from the finances. Um, we just need you to go and, and uh, win us business and keep the clients happy. Mm. Um, the managing director and the finance director will worry about the finances. You just do you, your thing uh, and we'll make sure that the engine's turning over. And of course it was turning over because uh, there was so much commission and service fee coming in. I, I, th I think there is a carryover from that. And even once the industry did move more to uh, time and cost and, and other methods of remuneration, again, I think a lot of the, the, the senior um, practitioners in the uh, creative and the strategy space were, again, kept at arm's length and didn't always uh, have any input or kept abreast of, of what was happening financially. Yeah. Um, and when they go and move into their own business, uh, it's very hard to, to uh, get out of that mindset unless you've got good mentors that uh, uh, you have around you to tell you what you need to do when yeah. you're setting up your business. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's key. Yeah, how, how to actually run the business. Yes. It, it's interesting because Michael Farmer in his book, Madison Avenue Manslaughter, said that one of the reasons we got all these holding companies, and, you know, WPP is only a company around three decades old, you know, and, and some of the others are, you know, they, they haven't been here forever, you know. And it was because they identified, you know, um, accountants like Sir Martin Sorrell identified that even though agencies were cash flush, they were still poorly run so that their margins and profit were relatively small and that there was an opportunity here of consolidating this, taking the back end, consolidating that, reducing operating costs and therefore making big profits. The only thing that they didn't see was the move from commission to you know, head hour rates and or head hours and that head hours were under going to be under pressure for the next two decades. But, you know, that was the sort of thinking that perhaps advertising has never been a really well-run business. Yes, it, I, I think you're right. Um, uh, I can remember having conversations with uh, peers um, working in other industries, people I went to university with and, and, and met out and about, um, questioning the, uh, the professionalism of, of the agency business, and it's not a real business. Um, you're an accountant or you're a lawyer or you're in finance, um, you're in property, they're real businesses, manufacturing, they're real businesses, uh, coming up with ideas and selling ideas, that's not a real business. Um, there's no, you know, you work in property um, and you need to be accredited. You work in finance, there's regulations and you need to be accredited. Uh, you're a lawyer or you work in an accountant, you need to have accreditation. There's no such thing in advertising. And so 
quite often it is perceived as uh, having a, a, a distinct lack of professionalism. And I think that uh, it is also is embodied in, in the way that some of the businesses are run. Yeah. And look, the reason I raise it is that, uh, you know, there's a big elephant in the room that's been sitting here financially for at least a decade, and that's payment terms, which uh, is why I asked you to come and have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, extended payment terms, from my perspective, really became a big issue after the global financial crash of 2007, 2008. Suddenly clients, and especially the larger clients, were finding themselves cash poor and uh, they needed to find a way to uh, fund their cash flow or support their cash flow. So they put it all down the uh, downstream supply chain, didn't they? They did. Uh, look, and I think also, and we talked about this just before we, uh, we started the recording, that these businesses also have large and very sophisticated treasury functions. And that's not looked on as a cost center, that's also a profit center. So out of all our financing activities, foreign exchange, uh, investments, um, managing cash flow, how can we actually uh, improve our overall margin by turning that function into uh, to a profit center? So. Uh, a cash squeeze, a global financial crisis, as you said, uh, but also an opportunity to have um, serious skilled practitioners manage that function. Um, a lot of these big businesses identified an area they could get more margin. Yeah. So, because it is interesting, you know, when we talk about what payment terms should be, you know, everyone immediately usually defaults to 30 days as, as the sort of standard. But, you know, from a business point of view, that's not a standard. I mean, that seems to be common, uh, but it depends on category of business, doesn't it? You know, I know there's uh, some businesses at seven days, some businesses at uh, 14 days, others it's 30 days. You know, do you have a sense of what uh, a standard terms of business would be? Yeah, look, I think 30 days is standard, but that also dates back to when financial processes were a lot more manual. You actually had to physically type out an invoice, put it in an envelope, send it to someone. Someone would need to open the envelope, look at the invoice, get it approved. Then it goes through the, uh, the, the financial processes of the supplier. Someone has to write a check, stuff that in an envelope and post it off. Yeah. So I can understand why it might take 30 days uh, for that administrative process to happen. But today, we've got so many different payment options and ways of, of uh, sending invoices and having uh, things approved uh, in financial systems in real time, uh, in my mind, seven days should be standard. You should be able to uh, manage all those processes Whew. within seven days. <laughs> 14, I think. I think, so, the, I think the hardest part, Nick, is getting the uh, purchase order raised and the uh, and the sign-off of the invoice against it. You know, sometimes that can take 30 days just to get the person who commissioned the work or the, the cost to, uh, to well, raise a purchase perhaps order. Perhaps that's a topic for another day, but why is the purchase order being raised after the goods have been delivered? Which, uh, <laughs> uh, if, if everything, if the process is working as it should, there should already be a purchase order that... Uh, matches up to the invoice and there's no further approval necessary. But uh, as I say, perhaps it's a topic for another day. But it should be able to be done within seven days. 14 days, I would say, is is reasonable yeah. in, in, in today's, using today's technology. 
It's interesting because, you know, uh, from your perspective, uh, uh, the longest payment terms I've heard of are 120 days. I've seen 180. 180 days. So we're now half a year. Yep. You know, you're basically six months before you get paid. Um, it's interesting, though, because the one that was uh, 120 days was after you, they've raised the purchase order. And here was the kicker that to set you up as a new vendor could take up to 90 days. And then it would be, once you're uh, set up as a vendor, they could raise a purchase order. And then it would be 120 days from that. And that's actually one that we, we experienced. It took my finance manager 120 days. And, and the comment from the client was, oh, it's much better than it used to be. It used to take twice as long to set you up as a vendor. I mean, is this just an excuse or are finance systems actually cracking? Because you said you should be able to do it in seven days. But it seems like, you know, a lot of these big businesses have outsourced all of their financial management, you know. Um, is it not working? Is this the excuse? Or are they really just using that to cover the fact that they're making money out of their suppliers? Look, I think it's a, a little bit of both. Um, if you've got the right systems in place, the right technology in place, it should not take 90 days to, to set up a new supplier. Yeah. Um, and, and it goes completely against the, the way that businesses are trying to operate today in a world where information is able to be moved around at such a rate and business is happening so quickly, you identify an opportunity that requires a supplier to deliver goods or services and it's going to take 90 days to set them up in your system. Um, that opportunity is, is likely gone in a week um, or sooner. So. Um, I find it difficult to accept that the systems are that archaic, and maybe some businesses are. There are legacy systems, or they've had to knit together uh, systems from disparate businesses that they've acquired over time, and nothing quite talks to each other. Mm. I kind of understand that. So I'm sure there is an element of that. But I also think it's a, it's a way of stringing the process out to, uh, to, to get the goods or services that you want into market and being able to delay the payment to the to the vendor at the same time. So so the first excuse, which is it takes that long to get through their financial system, is indicative of a company that's struggling with their workflow practices in finance. Yeah. But let's talk about the second part, which is why as a business would you want to delay payment with extended payment terms? You know, what's the advantage for a business if you can get all your suppliers, your creditors, to accept 120, 180 days payment terms. And simply a lower cost of capital. Um, I know that to, 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 to borrow money or, or have credit facilities is pretty cheap these days, but if you can make it zero and put the onus of uh, funding your business on all your suppliers, uh, when you're talking about millions and possibly billions of dollars, um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that business is able to add margin to their bottom line simply through their treasury and, and, and funding processes. Right. So what they're actually doing is finding new ways of making profit off their supply chain. Yeah. 
And it seems to be, from my experience, the larger the client, the more likely they're to do this. Why would that be? Why is there an advantage for very large clients to do this? Whereas, you know, small, and, and when I say large, I'm talking global or regional, multi-country, compared to, you know, suppliers within one, uh, clients within one country. Yeah. Uh, I think there's two things, uh, potentially market power. Uh, if you're a, a you know, we'll use advertising agencies, obviously, as our example through, all the way through this. Um, agencies are continually looking for new business. And if uh, a large client says, yeah, we'll give you uh, our business on extended payment terms, all of a sudden you've added three, four million to your uh, revenue line. Uh, that's pretty attractive uh, from an agency perspective. So there's the, the power that these advertisers wield in being able to dictate those terms. Uh, but also, I think I said earlier that a lot of these organisations have very large and very sophisticated treasury functions, and uh, through the use of those um, divisions, they are able to generate a lot of cash. So most of those large advertisers today um, are swarming in cash, and so they are able to um, use, as I said, their power um, and the combination with the uh, sophisticated treasury functions uh, to increase those margins even more. Yeah. So, so I mean, it has an impact, though, and you've worked, you know, with uh, creative agencies, media agencies, uh, PR, you know, you've worked across the gamut. Does, does a client demanding excessive or extended payment terms impact agencies differently? I imagine media would be quite different to creative. Media is different. Um, as an agency, though, you really only need to, because media is quite regular. Um, yes, occasionally there's peaks and troughs, but most big advertisers are spending pretty much the same amount every month. So once you've ne uh, negotiated the first three or four months, um, you've got regular cash coming in because once you've got the 120 days, well, every month it's 120 days from, and it just rolls on. So uh, the big agencies, uh, again, the network agencies in particular, because they've got lots of cash within their organisations. Uh, many of them also have sophisticated treasury functions and set up cash pooling arrangements. So uh, an agency that's potentially underperforming uh, doesn't have to worry about cash flow because they can call upon the agencies that are performing well because that network has, has, has pulled those funds. So they are better able to, to, to weather those initial um, months until the regular monthly payments right. um, start to, to roll on. Uh, creative agencies, it's perhaps a little different. Um, I mean, media agencies are designed to generate cash and so most of them have significant cash reserves anyway. Creative agencies is a little bit different because the work is potentially a lot more seasonal and there are more peaks and troughs. Um, but again, the larger network agencies will be somewhat insulated from that because they've got uh, cash pooling arrangements, parents that they can call on for, for additional funding if needed. It's the smaller agencies, in particular the smaller creative agencies, that um, I worry about because in many cases they're, they're, they're living from hand to mouth from a, a, a cash flow perspective. They are paying retail rates for any funding, uh, which makes that almost prohibitively expensive. Um, and because you do have these um, peaks and troughs, 
uh, in cash flow depending on when campaigns uh, land and ultimately are paid for, you need to have very stringent cash flow week to week. I've worked in agencies where it was literally getting uh, day to day, working out, well, what's coming in today? What are we expecting today? What are we expecting to pay out today? And that puts a lot of stress um, on the principles of the business mm. and potentially also impacts the, uh, the, the quality of the work. If, uh, if you've got a strategy guy and a creative guy that own a particular agency and they're having to spend the first hour of their morning um, sitting with the finance manager um, talking about cash flow and, and uh, which clients need to be called to, to, uh, to ask a favour and pay us a little bit earlier mm. um, to, to compensate for the, uh, for the bigger clients that are stringing us out to 120 days. That's taking them away from, from what it is that they are there to do, managing clients, producing work that's going to get clients' results. And that's not a nice thing, position to be in. So, Nick, you know, you've, you've enlightened me because, you know, I used to always think of it as media agencies because, you know, around 90 to 95% of the money paid by the client to the agency is getting handed on to third parties, the media owners. And the agency really only holds on to, you know, let's say 5 to 10% being generous, right? And I thought, well, creative agencies... You know, it's only when you're doing, a say, a big production and you've got a production company demanding 50% of the production cost up front that it becomes an issue with long payment terms. But you're right. You know, I hadn't thought about the fact that for a media agency, once you get over that hurdle of the first, you know, 60, 90, 120 days and being able to fund that, it really is just a you know process of getting the money each month and carrying the cost of the upfront that, that you have to worry about. Um, creative agency is much more disruptive, isn't it? It is. Because you don't have that regular large amount of money. You know, I, I always uh, used to say to people, if they said, oh, I want to get into advertising, I'd say, always go into media because there's so much money. If you've got slightly sticky fingers, you'll get to hold on to some of it. And, and I think the, the truth is, uh, is just borne out by that. What that means, though, doesn't it, is that because I have heard from big network agencies and their holding companies talking to finance people, they are absolutely happy with accepting long payment terms. And they say it's because it's not a big impact on the business and it gives them a way of differentiating themselves and locking in a client um, because they're able to accommodate these uh, long payment terms. Yeah. Is this because they're able to make money on the back end, as you say, through treasury and, and uh, foreign exchange and things like that? Yeah, look, not even the uh, agency necessarily making those additional margins out of the treasury function, but the simple fact that they are more likely to have uh, excess cash and can uh, weather those uh, ups, and ups and downs. And uh, it is a definite competitive advantage if you've got a network agency up against a couple of independents for any given pitch and the network agency is prepared to accept 180 day payment terms it's the the, the work or the um, the pitch response from the independents would have to be substantially better uh, I, I think in, in many cases to, to win that business because 180 day payment terms is uh, very um, advertisers, the, they, they love it. 
and yeah. uh, you'd rather go with that potentially than work that's slightly better um, from the independent agency that's asking for 30 or even 60 day terms. Yeah. It's interesting because I've never met a marketer that loves long payment terms. It's totally irrelevant to them. They're more complying because it's a mandate from you know finance that that is the way we operate. Yep. Um, and I think I wonder if marketers knew the difference between you know the way a, a network or holding company can accommodate those payment terms compared to independent agencies because you know we're seeing over the last 18 months you know during um, the pandemic we're seeing marketers want to look for alternatives to big network agencies you know there has been a rise in the independence becoming a little bit flavor of the month or flavor of the pandemic you could say but that you know the impact of long payment terms would make a client less attractive in some ways for those independent agencies, wouldn't it? It would. Um, I think the rise that we're seeing of the independence might sway some of the balance of power a little bit. If you are a marketer and you desperately want to work with this new hot shop over here and they just simply flat out say no to your 120-day payment terms, um, then all of a sudden the agency potentially is holding the power rather than the advertiser. If they're willing to stand up and go, we will only work for 30 days, 45 at the most, or something like yeah, that. A but lot. a lot of agencies, you know, they put their heart and soul into winning a piece of business. And it's almost never the marketer who says, oh, by the way, it's 90-day uh, payment terms. It, it's the procurement person who flies in and goes, oh, by the way, it's 90 days. I actually think there should be a mandate that payment terms should be declared up front before any tender process starts because it should be a substantial decision for agencies as to whether they participate or not. Oh, it needs to be, uh, yes, it needs to ultimately be a, be a part of the remuneration negotiation. Uh, well, even before that, even when you ask the agencies to, you know, do would you like to pitch for our business? By the way... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Um, my point is that uh, it needs to be known up front so the agency can prepare their uh, price proposal. Oh, yes. Having that information uh, in mind because, sure, you can have 120 day payment terms, but we're going to have to put price up 5% because uh, all of a sudden our cost of uh, funding is going to go up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, are you prepared to, to, to pay a little bit more uh, in order to, uh, to, to take those terms? Um, I've always tried to include the payment terms with advertisers when I've worked in agencies as part of the, the remuneration negotiation. Yeah. So if you desperately want 120 days, fine, um, but we're going to charge a little bit more. Now, sometimes you, you're able to do that, sometimes you're not, but not many agencies try, I don't think. I, I, I was going to say also that the, um, with the, the rise of the independence being flavour of the month uh, there are many that I have seen that have simply said, no, we are not going to work with any client on 120-day payment terms. And the reason is not just, well, it's going to cost us more money to fund uh, and make it more difficult for us to fund our business. When, you, uh, when clients talk, advertisers talk about uh, a partnership with their agencies, stringing them out to 120 days, even if it's, already, uh, it's a known up front, that's not the definition of a good partner in my book. 
and uh, a lot of agencies view it exactly the same way and they will simply say, no, let's uh, have a, a, an adult negotiation here. 120 days is not acceptable to us. Mm. Uh, we may accept 60, 30 is preferable mm. or whatever their terms are. And um, uh, sorry, I've lost my point, but um, a lot well, of they're agents, making a stand. They make they, they a stand, stand on where they they're willing to go. Yeah, you but, are not. You are not acting. You're talking uh, that you want this to be a partnership, but before we even put pen to paper, um, this does not sound like a fair partnership. Yeah, and look, the other point you uh, beautifully highlight there is we're, I've been using 120 days in this conversation. You mentioned before 180 days is the worst you've seen, but really it's just degrees of buggery, isn't it? Because it, you know it's like 30 days is perfectly reasonable. 60 days, okay, you're starting to push the friendship. 90 days, well, there's not a lot of friendship left. Yeah. You know, we talk about in business goodwill. Well, there's not a lot of goodwill once you're out at 90 days and certainly at 120, it's gone out the window. And perhaps this is why I suddenly thought this is why, you know, in agencies, they don't talk about finance to the staff. They don't talk about payment terms to the employees working on the business because when you start to realise your client is, uh, is taking advantage with these payment terms... It would be a huge demotivator for some members of staff to go, well, you know, the client wants this turned around overnight, I'm, but I'm not going to get, we're not going to get paid for this for 90 days, 120 days. I'm not sure I'm going to work all night to, on this. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, and possibly that is a reason that uh, agencies are reticent to, uh, to enlighten their staff. But I think the benefits of doing so for all the other reasons outweigh that. But that's a good point. Um, I'd, I'd not thought of that before. Um, no, I was just, I was suddenly sitting there because you hear so many stories about the client, you know, uh, uh, saying on Friday night at 5.30, oh, I need some uh, new ads on Monday morning. Well, who's going to work all weekend if you also know that the client won't have to pay that bill, not in 90 days, but 90 days from when the invoice goes in and is approved. Yep. So it's going to be 120 anyway. 120 or even more <laughs> if the campaign has uh, been going on for, for, uh, for three or four months. And this is the point, isn't it? Because I hear a lot from procurement people who are in the position of having to justify extended payment terms. You know, it's a policy made by the CFO, by finance, as a way of protecting the business or, or providing a financial benefit to the business. But... You're actually talking about a, especially large businesses using their commercial size and, and clout to force smaller businesses to accept unfavourable terms of business, aren't you? Yes, that's what it boils down to, ultimately. Isn't that a good definition of corporate bullying? As good a definition as I've heard. <laughs> so, you know, I, I see this as, you know, if you... I don't mind if two large clients come to terms like 120 days because they're both able to adjust their business models to accommodate. But you know, in a world where we're talking about diversified supply chains and the need to have diversity in size, in culture, you know, there's, there's a, a big thing in the um, UN uh, sustainability uh, objectives 
that they've set for diversified supply chains. We've seen companies uh, having suffered supply chain issues throughout uh, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. You know, it is topic of the month for uh, procurement to diversify your supply chain. And yet it seems to me that uh, payment terms and extended payment terms are one of the ways that uh, large companies are effectively shutting out a huge amount of the business market from doing business with them. Yeah, it's, as you were saying that, I was also thinking, you know, there are quite, and quite rightly, um, uh, agreements in place around uh, uh, modern slavery and, and uh, uh, sustainable um, work practices within businesses, but it never extends to, uh, to the payment terms, which, uh, whilst not in the same category, can cause businesses, small businesses, huge degrees of stress um, and anxiety. Uh, simply through the fact of them having to wait for so long. Um, maybe uh, the UN could uh, step in there and... and uh, Include that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, the number one reason small to medium enterprises go into insolvency is cash flow issues. And yet, uh, you know, your point very early in this conversation was extended payment terms are exactly what the uh, a cause for small business. You know, this idea that uh, an agency principles of an independent agency are sitting there for the first hour every morning trying to work out how they're going to meet their financial commitments. Because we know as uh, directors of companies, it's if you trade while knowingly insolvent, i.e. unable to meet your financial commitments, then the limited liabilities of a proprietary company are then compromised. You become personally responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Very different, by the way, to a limited company, which a lot of these large companies are. Mm. You know, because the limited company, as opposed to the proprietary limited company, and in the US, the, uh, the US, the LLC, yeah. there is no personal liability. Yeah. You know, that that liability, the, the corporation in its own right has the liability, but no individual. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a big problem, as we've said all for, uh, throughout this discussion, um, and it's a big problem for the smaller, predominantly creative agencies. So what's the solution, Nick? What would you do if you could actually bring about a change? What would you do or recommend to uh, clients? Look, it's, it's tough because ultimately these things come down to uh, uh, a negotiation and as we've said throughout, if the agency agrees to this knowingly, uh, what we haven't discussed is where um, advertisers unilaterally um, are late in payment. The terms in the contract might be 30 days, but practice is to, to drag it out to 60 or 90. Perhaps also that's a conversation for another day, but uh, where the um, agency is knowingly entered into those terms, it's, a, it's difficult to, to see a solution because they've accepted to do business on that basis. Yeah. And presumably they've done their due diligence to uh, determine how they are actually going to finance those payment terms um, within their own business. Um, I think... So you're taking a small regulatory view, which well, is, you know, it's your business. You decide if you're going to put up with uh, 120 days, 90 days, you go into it with your eyes open 
and and you absolutely you know go on you know embrace that and, and put up with the pain and suffering look that's that's that is part of it but I would also add that um, for a large advertiser uh, if they wish to be considered good corporate citizen um, you know and so many companies these days have to have the the triple bottom line of, of reporting um, and I think even these days there's three or four more pillars that are added around community and 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 those sorts of things. Uh, if you are truly going to live by that sort of ethos, then asking your suppliers to cop 120, 180 day payment terms is and completely at odds. Fund your cash flow and, fund, and your profit. If it, and and you know the the 120 and 180 days is, I'm, I am actually seeing it less. There are more advertisers that are being a little bit more reasonable um, and requesting 30 and, and 60 day payment terms. But again, I think it comes back if you uh, wish to be seen as a good corporate citizen, uh, then you cannot screw over your suppliers uh, yeah. by asking for unconscionable payment terms. Um, um, it's in the hands of the advertisers, is, is I guess effectively what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, but I'm I don't saying... know how you can regulate it. <laughs> well, um, there has been efforts in various countries, uh, governments have passed regulations which define the size of a business. Some say it's a 50 million turnover, some say it's a 20 million turnover, whatever. Um, and then they regulate that payments will be made within 30 days so that they pr uh, prohibit uh, companies within that country from stretching out payment terms for small to medium-sized businesses. Having said that, they can't enforce it on global companies that mm. are incorporated outside of that country. So there is no way of regulating it. And it's difficult to police too, I would think. Yeah, it, well, it's difficult to police. Um, and also, as you say, it's, it's you know, you go into this. I think what we need to do is that clients and, and agencies, because you're right, I'm seeing less of long um, payment terms for uh, local advertisers. I'm still seeing a lot of multinational clients pushing this globally. You know, I'm, the, the big multinational clients, the ones that you would see as members of the World Federation of Advertisers, for instance, the very large American-based clients, almost everyone that's incorporated in Ireland and other, uh, you know, tax-friendly um, uh, uh, locations are pushing long payment terms because basically they are looking for every opportunity to maximise their profits for shareholder value and they don't care at whose expense. Okay, so that's really what it's driven by. In a world where we're all liking to talk about environmental sustainability and net zero, uh, where we all say we want to uh, make sure that we uh, are, are not uh, pushing, you know, supporting modern slavery, all of these terrific UN sustainability goals are great, except that there is still a large group of companies out there that are that for no matter what they say in their press releases are putting profit ahead of people, you know, in that mix. And I think that it becomes part of, you know, people need to be aware of it. People need to be aware of it, and, and I also think a lot of these problems stem back to 
the concept that shareholder value is the most important consideration for any corporation, um, which is, which is um, yeah, once people start questioning whether that is in fact the case, and that's starting to happen now, people do have um, more um, uh, are looking at environmental issues, um, they are looking at um, community issues and holding companies to account for those issues. Uh, once that starts to gain more traction and yes, shareholder wealth is important, but it's perhaps not the most important thing. Now, there are other uh, things that are of equal importance or- yeah, measure of success. Once, once uh, companies are held to account for those things and potentially extended payment terms as part of that, then you will start to see a change because people won't want to invest in or deal with businesses that uh, treat their suppliers poorly, like we have stopped buying from companies that uh, still employ slave labour. Yeah. Uh, once we know about it, we will stop, most people will stop using, stop buying from, uh, goods and services from those companies. So I, I think it's something that uh, perhaps is going to take a little bit of time to, uh, to evolve before we get to a position where companies are, are not using their market power to, to drive those sorts of You know, terms. you've just given me a great idea. What we should demand is every company publishes their, their trading terms, that their payment terms are openly and honestly available on their website or on the, if they're listed as, public, as part of their public listing because then we can start to see, well, who has a business model yeah. that is actually self-sustaining and who relies on the fundings of their smaller suppliers yeah. to actually stay in business. Contracted payment terms and effective payment terms as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I think a combination of those two, comparison of those two would be, would be useful. You, you did talk, about, you briefly mentioned earlier about, you know, people not even paying to their contracted payment terms. And I always uh, laugh when, uh, and, and there's a couple of industry finance advisors uh, going around the advertising industry, and they say things like, oh, well, every contract uh, you should penalise client for late payment with, uh, you know, whatever the cash rate is at, at the time. And uh, I go, well, look, that's all very nice, but uh, I don't know any agency that's ever managed to uh, get paid the uh, extra interest on their payments. Have you? I've seen it happen once. <laughs> once. Yeah. One, one, and, and the, didn't even have to ask for it. The client uh, was late and uh, paid the, uh, the send me an invoice for the additional amount. Sorry about that. We didn't, we, we didn't. We screwed up. Yeah, we made a mistake. Um, won't happen again. Mm. Um, but even it's becoming increasingly difficult to get those clauses in the contracts to start in with, much place, less, yeah. much less uh, being able to enforce them. Uh, Nick, look, it's been terrific uh, catching up and having a conversation. We should. Uh, there's so many issues that are. Uh, to deal with the finance of uh, marketing and advertising, we should uh, we should do this again. Let's. I've got a long list of topics we can talk about. <laughs> hey, um, so uh, just before you uh, go, uh, is that client that uh, paid the interest still in business? <laughs>